What's going on, everybody? Hotep family. I say to all my people out there, welcome back to another episode of my unapologetic perspective here on the Mighty Motivation Network. This is the podcast where we give our point of view of controversial topics from my experience, black history, and our knowledge as African Americans. Uh, I am Martre Baker Stevens, and to the right of me, I'm joined by my co-host, Shaquan Battle. Yep. And to the right of him, Jerome Battle. Sup. Uh, black history presently lives in us, so we can continue to excel into the future. It's one thing to know black history. It's another thing to take advantage of what people in black history did for you. In the words of Malcolm X, there will come a time where black people will wake up and become intellectually independent enough to think for themselves. And this is a podcast where we're intellectually intellectually independent enough to think for ourselves and give you a perspective that you may not have heard, especially in K through 12 and through schools. How are y'all? I'm good. I'm good. Everybody good? Everybody, all minds good. is clear. I um, do believe that quote you just read has become true. It definitely is. It's definitely, it definitely is. You're, you're talking about the awakening and a lot of people poke fun at the woke community. Um, but the woke community has come some totally different than what it originally is, which is African and Americans, um, now fall into the traditional indoctrination of, of white America. Right. Right. Um, we had a couple of great episodes recently. Um, the last one, of course, talking about rioting. Um, I apologize to some of our viewers out there. Uh, social media deleted a few of our clips that we put up because I guess they felt like it talked about violence and racism too much. Um, but they trying to censor us. <laughs> it, it's, it, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Um, but we have went viral a few times in the past month and a half um, on some some great clips and getting some some really good feedback, some great comments. And one day we're going to bring some of those comments here to the platform and begin to answer them um, off of social media and going more in depth to to some of our um, to some of our perspective of, of what we think. Got a question for you while we right there. OK, got a couple of um, inbox messages where. Some people asked, do we ever plan on doing a live podcast or seminar that there are a lot of people that would be willing to donate money to have a live session mm-hmm. and even a question and answer uh, section? I, I think that's something that we can we can do and we would do. The only problem is we don't really know who our audience is locally <laughs> because so many people watch the podcast but they may not like anything they may not share anything and i'm a person that really goes off of social media um interaction to see who's really um developed into what we're putting out because i know that i know for a fact there's people who like and share videos who don't watch a second of the video they just share it just because it's us then i know some people who listen and watch everything that we do but they never comment or share anything because of the information may affect them at their job or whatever or the people that that follow them so it's something i want to do um if somebody reached out to us and and to try to set something up is you know we've done joint podcasts you know we definitely don't have to be in front of a laptop to talk about what we talk about. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, it's something definitely we would definitely look into as we move forward. Okay, good. What are y'all thoughts on that? I, I agree. And, and I understand you, you want to 
you want to always try to find your target audience because mm-hmm. the, the real thing is we would like to believe we're talking to everybody, but of course we know realistically we're not. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but in a, in a live setting, I, I really wouldn't care what the, the target audience was in that situation. I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, the more people that we can have these kind of conversations with, even people who may disagree, um, even if it may be regarding a subject that we may not have done any research on. I think we all know enough about black history and the effects and impacts of black history mm-hmm. that we can have those kind of conversations on any stage with anybody. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's needed. I think it's needed. Uh, like you said, we don't know who our target audience is, but I think if we put it out there, um, we will have people that that's willing to, to be there and listen. So, Absolutely. Um, anybody that that's, that be around me know this is something that I talk about on a normal basis. I don't care who the hell I'm around. You know, um, I got to the point where I really become unapologetic about how I feel that's and right. who I am. Um, I'll have these conversations in front of white people. I'll educate white people. Um, just at work, I felt like I had a whole soliloquy, <laughs> you know, to, to some of my coworkers. And, and, you know, because these are the type of things that this is just not a platform. This is actual people who, um, who do the research. We, we have our own perspective. We have our own knowledge. And again, like I, that Malcolm X quote, we're intellectually enough, um, independently to think for ourselves. Uh, absolutely. And you know, you think about the, the people that you had these conversations with, we talk about, yes, we want to, we want to, to have people and, and we want to invoke thought. Right. We want people to think. We want people to think for themselves. We want people to do their research. We want people to give their opinions. But in the end, the whole thing is about educating, educating people for change. Yeah. So when you have these conversations with your people at work and I do the same thing, we're hoping that we're changing something, even if it's just giving people a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so for some people, they only have their perspective. Mm -hmm. So when they hear other people's perspective, sometimes it can invoke change. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's what we want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we're going to jump right into our topic today. Um, this is an important topic, especially coming off what we came off last week. Um, it kind of it kind of correlates and it's actually a great transition topic to begin to talk about, which is the Reconstruction period. Now, you probably didn't even learn about the Reconstruction period in K through 12. They might have mentioned it, but you didn't understand the the total aspects of it. You got four parts. Right. Yeah, you get four parts. And, yeah. yeah. So, you know, most of the time you in school, you get slavery. Then at the end of slavery, you 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 uh, you talk about freedom and then you jump right into probably the Harlem Renaissance. That's right. Uh, you know what I mean? You might cover that and then you jump into the civil rights movement. But what happened to enslaved Africans after slavery? Like, right. where did they go? What did they do? What changed for them? And a lot of times we step over that because this is actually a dark history in, in American history. What it, what it ended up um, being. So today we're going to talk about really the good, bad and the ugly, what the Reconstruction period was supposed to be and what it actually ended up being is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, when you talk about the Reconstruction period, Again, going through the timeline, you have to, of course, start with, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation with Abraham Lincoln that led to basically the Civil War. And then at the end of the Civil War, that Emancipation Proclamation was was due for all of those states that succeeded from the Union. 
And the reconstruction period was an area was an era that was supposed to be filled with hope and expectation right. for African Americans coming out of uh of slavery. It was supposed to be ultimately um what created the actual democracy of America, That's the right. the equality, the justice for for everybody, the things that we actually pledged to. That's what it was supposed to be. Um following the Civil War, attempts were made to basically readdress the problems or the inequalities that slavery had created in in America, right? And the ultimate goal of the Reconstruction period that Abraham Lincoln had drew out was really to make those Confederates, especially their leaders, pay for succeeding from the Union. You wanted to really not allow those people back into power. It was almost right. like it was a um, a consequence, right? And you wanted to develop these African-Americans to be able to to have that equality into this newfound freedom. Um, and at the time, of course, you wanted change to happen. So you give out. So the, the 13th Amendment come out, which abolishes slavery, uh, except for by crime and punishment, of course. The 14th Amendment that gives African-Americans that citizenship. And then the 15th Amendment that gives black men the right to vote. That's right. right. And these are new rights that they've got. And like we talked about on this podcast, the Constitution was not written with black people in mind. That's right. So the goal for Reconstruction was not just to give them these rights, but make the states protect these That's rights. Right. right. That's right. So you really don't have to protect the rights of white people because they the Constitution was written with them in mind. But now you're talking about a new group of people coming in, getting these constitutional rights. You have to find a way to protect it because there are people who already had it who did not necessarily agree that they deserve those right. rights. Right. <clears throat> So the Reconstruction period, they began to develop what a goal was to develop, number one, schools and education. You wanted to put free schools. That, that's important to understand. You wanted free schools to be put into the South because at the time, the only people who could afford to send their children to school were these rich white people. You know, poor white Americans and African-Americans didn't have the luxury of being able to pay for their kids to go to school. Um, you had... um public transportation that could not have racial discrimination and you had land, right? Um, developing these lands and giving them to former slaves to be able to give them the opportunity to have that equality um, that they needed. But now let's, let's talk about what it was supposed to be, right? So number one, when you look at today, you have a predominantly African-Americans that vote Democrat. Well, back then they voted Republican mm -hmm. because the Republican Party was the party for civil rights at the time. Um, and they looked to create an interracial democracy. And the great thing about the Reconstruction period, when you look at it, y'all, as for African-Americans is three years after the Civil War, you're talking about African-Americans in school, mm -hmm. teaching in school. Mm -hmm. Um, you got um, politicians, you have business, business owners, and you have black people owning their own land within a three-year period of the Civil War. So that just shows you how ready even enslaved people were That's right. to having their, their newfound freedoms to be able to jump in after the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments are passed. Um, and, and then what happened? 
Exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, we're going to get to what happened. Um, but they also were judges. You know, you're talking about magistrates. You're talking about sitting on the juries, which is important That's right. um, as we go on. I said a lot of times uh, in the classroom, it was up to 50 people in one classroom. And 50 people from ages 5 to 95. That's right. You know what I mean? All, all ages. Everybody thought that being literate was important. That's you right. know what I mean? Um, you had the creation of the Freedoms Bureau, and the Freedoms Bureau during the Reconstruction was to oversee kind of the South, making sure that the transition was good for African Americans to be able to own land, to be able to go to school, to be able to <clears throat> settle disputes with white people without being lynched or killed. Um, one of the most important things of the Reconstruction period is that word Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Which is for the family, because during slavery, African-Americans was torn apart from their children, torn apart from their husbands. A lot of times marriages wasn't even acknowledged on the plantation. So right after emancipation, you had all of these African-Americans looking for their family, you know, putting out newspaper articles saying, I'm searching for a kid who would have been 10 years old at this time, would have been this height. Look this way. Can anybody help me find them? And you get that that bond back in the Reconstruction period. Correct. Me if I'm wrong, that's where the term jumping the broom comes from, right? In slavery, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the Freedom Bureau also wanted to provide land, so leases that a lot of the Confederates owned at the time, the Confederate leaders owned at the time. Lincoln wanted to strip them of that land. That's right. Um, actually, Robert E. Lee was one of them. Um, there was land that he had in Northern Virginia in the D.C. area where a slave on former slaves lived at after the the civil war where he returned home that was like wait they're using my my land as an opportunity to develop schools and and education and farming and all of these other things right um and that's where also you get to turn 40 acres in a mule Mm -hmm. because when you're given these land a lot of times you got a a lot a, a, a great large mass of land in a mule to be able to to run your land which technically wasn't a law. That was an order. Yeah. One of the generals imposed. He imposed that that order of 40 acres in the mule, which once um, was it Andrew Andrew Johnson, once he became yeah. president, yeah. he took that away. Yeah. It was it was William T. Sherman that, yeah. that was the general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you had 15 African-Americans, officials and public leadership. You had 16 African-Americans in that period that was in Congress. That's right. You know, you're talking about people like Robert Smalls, who was a Civil War hero that became a congressman. Uh, Hiram Revels, first black congressman to the Senate. Joseph Rainey, first African-American to the House. Uh, Blanche Bruce, who uh, was born right there in Prince Edward County. You know, the second African-American in Congress uh, of the Senate. You had John Lynch, who was a magistrate in Mississippi. And you know how well we talk about Mississippi on this show. Imagine being a black magistrate justice of the peace in Mississippi. You know what I mean? Uh, but these, it was great for these men because they occupied a lot of the former slave master seats in Congress. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a huge uh, uplift when you see African-Americans fresh out of, out of uh, being enslaved to now jumping into um, government um, roles. Heck, in South Carolina, you're talking about predominantly black delegates and congressmen um, to where they, you know, they ran 60 percent of the population to where they voted black. And you got you talking about a wide group of people as treasurer, secretary of state, all of these things being African-Americans right there in South Carolina. Um, Out out of this, you get uh, Fisk University, Fisk, Tennessee, you get Howard University, you get Hampton. 
Um, over 3,000 schools in the South land the foundation for public education. Many young black uh, men and women became teachers and instructed the next generation. Mm-hmm. This also helped sh- shape the turn of events to where a majority of black people became democratic in mm-hmm. terms of their political parties. This was the beginning phase of making that shift from yeah. Southern Republicans to Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you just look at this in totality of what the Reconstruction period was supposed to be for blacks, it really gave hope. You know what I mean? Like that hope that, okay, this is our moment. You know what I mean? I, I think it gave hope. But I'm going to be 100% honest with you. It was a facade from the beginning. Okay, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I it, I don't believe, and when you read, when you read the 13th Amendment, when you read the 14th Amendment, when you read the 15th Amendment, there's two things that come into play. One, it tells you that the Constitution was did not include us. Yeah. That, that's one. Number two, it tells you that because you didn't include us, you're making it, uh, a, you're making a specialty just to include black people in your laws that you didn't take us in consideration mm-hmm. for in the beginning. Okay. Now you say, okay, does that fix the problem? No, it's a facade because in those amendments, those folks that wrote those, those amendments, they still did not see black people as equal to them. Right. Nor did they want you to have equality. Mm -hmm. What they were trying to do is unionize the states. They wanted to have a real United States. Right. And the only way that you can do that is you had to have these things that make blacks equal, at least in law. Mm-hmm. That's, that was the whole purpose. They didn't think we were their equal. Oh, they, they went so far to say so as they were writing these amendments. Abraham Lincoln mentioned many, many times that he did not view black people as equal to whites. Right. But these are the folks who were responsible <laughs> for writing these laws. So obviously... And when we talk about the Reconstruction period, absolutely, it was about for black people reuniting them with their families and then starting anew as uh, free Americans. Mm-hmm. But the destruction that the war caused to the South didn't only affect the blacks. It devastated white families. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about slave owners and how um, good form, you know, that they lost everything. However, those families had kids and grandkids that this thoroughly affected. Mm -hmm. Um, And these people had no, other than being born white, had no fight in or no part in enslaving black people. Mm -hmm. So they suffered the same way that black people suffered. Mm -hmm. The difference is they blamed us. Those white families whose, whose livelihoods were torn apart by the Civil War didn't necessarily blame white America. They blame blacks and the North. <laughs> so as much as I talk about the states that I hate, <laughs> mm-hmm. those folks, when you when I go down there, they hate me just as much as I hate them. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't like Yankees. And I'm not talking about the New York Yankees. <laughs> they don't like people from the North. Right. Be- not because they won the war, but the winning of the war devastated their livelihoods. Right. Their families. Um, their way of life. Um, so the Reconstruction period was not only about getting Black America by law equal to White America, because in real life and in real time, that's not what happened. 
but it was also about rebuilding those states that suffered during the, during the civil war. Right. So rebuilding them, how do we figure out how to get them back to an economical basis that they were before mm-hmm. and then structuring government to govern those states? Mm-hmm. Because the problem is until you start bringing into some of the blacks into legislation, you still had the same white folks at the head of legislation in the South. Right. Because you had, again, that goes back to the Colfax massacre that we talked about a few weeks ago, where the federal, the federal government said that they could not intervene in state laws. That's right. So you, you had to get these people to try to ratify these bills of the Civil Rights Act and the 14th, 15th um, amendments to be able to, again, protect those rights. But you, you did say something important because when you think about the Civil War, a lot of people believe that the entire South wanted to go to war. Right. And that's not exactly true. Poor white people, like the the farmers um, who did not own slaves, they didn't, they, you know, those were the people who did not want to go to war because that was going to cost them even more that's than right. the elite white people who who had stuff that they can come back to. So they devastated families. Again, we talked about Fred Hampton um, a, a few months ago. That's the one of the people he had coalitions with That's was right. poor white Americans who, who were devastated from that, that, that civil war and had to move North as well and still find that, um, that they too didn't get the, uh, the opportunity afforded to them rather in education and politics and all of those things. Um, it was even a time where poor white Americans during this time period, poor white Americans and African Americans created their own political party That's right. to try to to try to build together. And then that was, uh, of course, stripped away by the rest of white America to say, you know, that ain't going to happen. Uh, but we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, we're going to jump right back in. Um. Also, during the Reconstruction period, Abraham Lincoln showed a lot of weaknesses, in my opinion. Okay, go to talk where, about it. Uh, he did not want to be as strong um, in enforcing certain things to have the South indoctrinate some of these amendments. Um, for example, the, the 10% plan, mm-hmm. where 10% of 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 the leaders in in a particular southern state had to pledge allegiance to the to the to, to the union. Yeah, only ten percent. Yeah, where once he was assassinated, um, Andrew Johnson came in and he made it fifty percent. Yeah, right. It had to be fifty percent of the southern states had to buy in. Now we think again that for black people that should have been a plus. No, the ten percent was enough already to get. <laughs> the white American to, to despise blacks even more. Yeah. But then when you raise it to 50%, because what happens is if you don't have 50% pledge, then there are certain things you don't get from the state government in order to be able to, to redevelop. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So having 50% and that you had to include like uh, better opportunities for free blacks. Mm-hmm. That had to be part of that 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 allegiance that you pledged when fifty percent was was warranted. So there was a lot of things that, in a lot of people's opinion, as we go through this Reconstruction period, added to the racism that we see in America today. Because once all these things took place, now when we call it the Reconstruction era, you know, there's a start and there's an end. Mm-hmm. 
And at the end of that, in 1877, there's a lot of things that took place that had already started taking place before 1877, things like black codes and Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm. The South immediately decided since the federal government can't intervene in state legislation, guess what? Yeah. We'll follow your little 50% rule, but we're going to create our own laws. Yeah. And we created black codes and Jim Crow laws, other laws to further separate and put black people back in that same box that we talked about before as being subordinate and less than white America. Facts. That's why I like WDB's uh quote on the reconstruction <laughs> the slave went free stood a brief moment in the sun then moved back again towards slavery yeah, absolutely yeah, that's exactly what it was it's exactly what it was and still is <laughs> we're we gonna let's talk about it right so what the reconstruction ended up turning out to be um which is one of the reasons why you don't hear about it much in school because again it, it failed his expectation for the most part but one of the problems that the south really had other than losing the war and enslaved Africans going free was one of the things that Lincoln said that ultimately got him assassinated by John Wilkes Booth was that black men and black veterans were intelligent black men and black veterans should be able to vote that that got him assassinated and really changed the South's perspective that now blacks not only are free now they get a say so. Mm-hmm. So when you hit the right, you get a say so in, w- in what begins to happen, especially when you talk about, as we still to do, do today with the uh, the Democratic versus the Republican Party, because, again, most of those people from the South were Democrats and they knew that allowing black people to vote where that vote was going to go towards. That's right. You know what I mean? Um, but. The vice president at the time happened to be Andrew Johnson, who was, again, one of those poor white Americans that we talked about um, that was heavily affected by the Civil War, where he felt that his family didn't really want to go to war. But in the end, one of the things he wanted to do was to feel bigger than those Confederate leaders. So to have them pledge their allegiance to him and apologize and and to 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 gratify him more, he began to pardon all of them that Lincoln really didn't want to do, but he pardoned all of them and restored the land back to them. Because again, the Freedmen's Bureau was going to take the land and give it to African-Americans. But Congress is out of session during this time. So Andrew Johnson really took control of the reconstruction period for a brief time to do what he really wanted to do and one of the things that he did was restore land and everything that they had before back to africa me back to white people except enslaved black people um you also had the rise of the kkk 1866 right who targeted blacks and anyone sympathetic to black people you know They even had KKK hearings in Congress to where they would listen to the testimony of African-Americans about, you know, things that were happening to them. Even the politicians in Congress told them, hey, look, when we leave here, we got to go back down south. That's right. And we got to deal with these people who waiting for us on the road 
when we drive by to the point where we may be murdered, we may be beat, we may be do, uh, have all of these things happen to us. These are some of the things that we face with, which, and I'm only saying that that's why it's important to have people in positions in government that can be able to give this information to other senators and other people in the house to say, hey, look, this is what we go on a regular basis too, even though, because when we're here, we're in the suit and here we're, uh, we're, the, we're intellectually equal. But when we go home, things seem to change a little bit, right? So, you know, the more successful you were in the Reconstruction period, owning land, owning businesses, the more you were likely to be attacked or killed by the KKK during this time period. It's almost like the more you achieved, the more violence came your way. And then you just brought it up, you know, the black codes, Right. So the black codes was laws that required African-Americans to have yearly contracts. Right. Because one of the things that happened was blacks wasn't receiving the opportunity in in the workforce. So they were forced almost to stay on the plantation and still work for that slave master. The problem with this is it goes back to slavery by another name. Because they were still subjected to that violence. They were still subjected to the terrors that happened on the plantation. But, okay, so you get a plot of land. And you don't own the land. But you live on the land. Mm -hmm. The person owns the land. So your rent was the crops that you grew on the land was your rent. But a lot of times African Americans ended up in debt because... They would charge you interest on the tools that you use. They would charge you interest on the animals that you use. And a lot of times African-Americans wouldn't even be paid in money. They mm-hmm. would just be paid in, in something for them allowed to be able to stay on the land. Right. And the more and more it happened, the further they went into debt and the more they were treated into what we call indentured servitude or slavery. Room and board was expensive. Right, because you had (laughs) these yearly contracts. So you were signing these yearly contracts every year and probably every single time the debt continued to increase to where you're selling your soul away to be able to, to get out of debt. Because you lacked land, you lacked the opportunity. So you began to be a sharecropper and working off this debt. But you also had the vagrancy laws. The vagrancy laws was any African-American adult had to have a contract with the white adult to say that you work for them. If you did not have a contract, you were arrested and given a fine. Now, if you could not pay the fine, a white person would pay the fine. And now you have to work for them to pay off the fine, which again has interest. Mm-hmm. So now you have all of this time going by to where now slavery by another name. The vagrancy right? laws also included um, indignant laws. So if, as a parent, if they thought that you were indignant and you couldn't financially take care of your kids, yeah. they would come in and take your kids from you. Yeah, Absolutely. And then you also had the convict leasing system, the movie Life, as we talked about. That's right. You know, the movie Life shows this wonderfully. I know Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence are hilarious in this movie. But they they give some real facts. But it's it's really truthful. And what it did was there was a lot of trumped up charges. That's right. uh, Put up on people, on black people, to where they was working the chain gang, where they was working other people's land to be able to pay off their debt. Or to serve their time. It was, again, slavery right. by another name. But Fre- Frederick Douglass termed the Reconstruction era uh, uh, quite different. He-, he called it the Redemption era. 
(laughs) Redeemers. And it was where the South was basically trying to redeem the the fact that they lost the war and they lost their livelihood, like I talked about originally. Um, But this era historically teaches us something else about black people is that with all the things that happened with the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, and then you come back with the Black Codes and 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 the Jim Crow laws, is that we never surrendered to white supremacy. Never. We continue to be resistant um, and, and, we, and, and try to persevere. But something interesting, again, that, that uh, uh, Frederick Douglass said is that in specific, he said, Sensing that the storm clouds gathering on the horizon, the Republican National Convention in in June 14, 1876, you say you have emancipated us. You have, and I thank you for it. You say you have enfranchised us, and I thank you for it. But what is your emancipation? Mm -hmm. What is your enfranchisement? What does it all amount to if the black man, after having been made free by the letter of your law, is unable to exercise that freedom after having been free from the slaveholder's lash? He is to be subjected to the slaveholder's shotgun. Facts. And I just want to go back one more time. Just one. This is this is important because the way he termed it is huge. Yeah. After being made free by the letter of your law, mm-hmm. you go back on many podcasts before you will hear me say that really and truly the civil rights movement was about holding white America and the government accountable for the laws that they wrote. Yeah. You said this. Mm-hmm. You're the ones who said this. So we're trying to make you truth sayers. You wrote this. Otherwise, you're liars. Yeah. Right. So. It was interesting that he said this in 1876. Yeah. <laughs> so when you think about the Reconstruction era, you have to put it in perspective. You're right. The intent was awesome. It's sort of like going down the basketball court with a between the legs dribble and a behind the back pass to an open guy. The intent is great. Yeah. The execution, horrible. Right. Because if you're wide open, just give it to him. Mm. Right. We had a golden opportunity we could have took advantage of if the people that were in, in charge of this Reconstruction era, because we can break it down into sections. You have a Reconstruction era, you have the presidential, you have the congressional, and you have the actions, which is the amendments, mm-hmm. right? But if you're not sincere in the real reason of why you're doing this, it's not going to work, mm-hmm. which is why it didn't work. The sincerity had nothing to do with giving us equality. It had to do with unionizing the states. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. We just want those favorite states of mine <laughs> to come around and be equal to New York and Massachusetts and Ohio. That's what we wanted. But in turn, without the Reconstruction era, this is important too, you don't get the Electoral College. So <laughs> this is important because you saw in a major election when Hayes won the presidency, yeah. that you had the Southern states control the election. Compromise of 1877. Absolutely. So you had to have this in order to get to where we are today. So um, in the end, it ended up benefiting Black America in more ways than one. But it also 
ended up assisting the United States in developing a better electoral system. So without the Reconstruction era, we don't have any of the things that we have today in terms of voting, voting rights, and how you're able to vote and what determines who's going to win presidency. Absolutely. Um, just real quick for the people who don't understand what that compromise of 1877 was, um, the presidential election, 1876, I believe it was, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes versus Samuel J. Tilden, which I think ended in similarly a tie. That's right. Um, but they ended up trying to inaugurate Rutherford B. Hayes as the winner. Um, and what ended up happening was the, the South said, look, you can he." You can have the win only if we won't argue it only if you allow us to deal with the South the way we deal with the South, which means you leave African-Americans into our hands. Right. You you take your troops, take your uh, your Freedoms Bureau, all of that stuff, all all out. Take, take them on out and you allow us to do what we do. And the cost became too great for America to try to protect black people. And that's exactly what they did. When in the election was much more important than finishing the reconstruction period for African Americans. And you use the interesting phrase there, the cost. Yeah. Because that's true. Frederick Douglass said the same thing. The cost was too much for America to want to take on. Yeah. You know? Everything is about money. That's and right. when you when you... Because again, the true reason for doing it had nothing to do with equality. Yeah. Because the cost of for equality there's, there is no cost that you wouldn't go to. We see it with, 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 with former slaves. The cost that they would go through for freedom for themselves and their families, there was no cost that you could, you could attribute that would be too much. Right. Right? If the true intentions were for equality. Yeah. The true intentions were not for equality. It was for union, for unionizing the United States. Yeah. And so, we can get that. You're going to get that if you take all this other stuff back. Yeah. We'll, we'll do what you say. Just leave black people to us, and you go. You guys go and pull up. Okay, you got it. And yeah. That's what we did. So for something that started of creating a total democracy of at least what it looks like in in plain sight, turned out to be exactly what it was before the war, just without enslavement. That's right. Right. Legally enslavement. Legally enslavement is exactly what it came. It became uh, slavery after slavery. Then of course you have Jim Crow. And you had, of course, the KKK continue to to rise and, and grow, and you, and then you had um, just the failure of African Americans again, as as you said, W. B. Du Bois said that went right back into the shade after having that sunlight. That's you know right. what I mean? They they had their moment in the sun, and now it was time to go back. Uh, Re Republicans lost elections, so a lot of those black politicians in South Carolina that you've seen. Uh, we're replaced by white Democrats. Um, as we move forward, you know, <laughs> it, it just ended in what everything usually ends in. America, white America getting their way through violence. That's you right. know, you, you talk about what the KKK was able to do. You talk about the loopholes. You talk about the conflict. Um, they were able to get their way by, by doing those things. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back, and uh, we're going to jump right back in and, and wrap on up. Um, so would y'all say the, Recon the Reconstruction era, short-term and long-term, was a success or fail? It was a... It had to happen. 
Right. Whether it was successful or a failure, it had to happen. We did get, we got the Emancipation Proclamation. We got the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. So with that said, yeah, it was a success. Absolutely. In the sense that we held them accountable for what the Constitution was saying, how it was written. Those amendments forces them to be held accountable. So that basically gives us the credence to do the things that we did in the civil rights movement, right? A lot of the things that we continue to do today. So without those amendments, we were in a bad position, right? So we got that. So if nothing else good came, the other thing is, is look at when you talk about how blacks thrive during that reconstruction period. So at the same time, it gave blacks that, that hope. Mm-hmm. that this is what we can achieve given the opportunity because we saw it, you know, we saw where blacks own lands and business and, and they were in uh, uh, a government. We saw that. So it gave them a glimpse of what we're capable of. So we're not just slaves. We can learn, we can function, we can survive without the help of the white man, because that's something that the white man used to embed in slaves minds is that without them, they wouldn't survive. To the point that when the the when slavery ended, some of the slave owners even told them, "How are you going to survive? How are you going to eat? How are you going to take care of your family? You're more than welcome to stay here, so we can do that for you." They tried to persuade them by beating them down some more, saying that you know you're you're not smart, you can't learn, you mm-hmm. can't do this, you need to stay here where we can do all that for you. You know, so during the Reconstruction period, there was hope that arose from those ashes of slavery. So I think it, the Reconstruction period, if you look at it in that aspect, absolutely was 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 successful. Absolutely. The bad part is I think it regenerated the thoughts of racism and, and prejudices to the point where that level of hate went back to the states to where they started doing the same things again legally. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer your question, I believe it was the good, bad, and the ugly uh, as I think about it. And I'm only saying that because of things I, that what I say all the time on this podcast is America loves to give African-Americans the breadcrumbs mm-hmm. to say that, well, at least it's not as bad as it was. So That's the right. Reconstruction period was a time to say, at least you're not slaves anymore. That's right. So that was the breadcrumb. And I believe what white America realized is they don't need the whole loaf. We can continue to breadcrumb them throughout the entirety. So let's take baby steps. Because what Lincoln did with the Emancipation Proclamation was one thing. Like I said before, the problem came when he said that black people should be able to vote. So freeing the slaves is one thing, but now you want to get them the right to vote? That's more than a breadcrumb. So white America wanted it to be a transition. You even see it today where people say, well, you guys are not slaves anymore. Things are better than they used to be. It's because that whole loaf still ain't there yet. That's right. You like giving us breadcrumbs so you can transition from your own racist thoughts. And it was good. It was bad and ugly, but it set the precedent of what us African-Americans want for our hope, which is we're okay sometimes with the breadcrumbs. So the reconstruction period was okay for a time. And then the Harlem Renaissance was okay for a time. And then the civil rights movement is okay for a time. And right now we're, we're happy that, that with the few 
uh, guilty verdicts that we got. You know, it has settled down a lot of the marches and protesting and, and talk about uh, injustice. We're okay with breadcrumbs. And that's one thing that I love about Malcolm when he talk about the civil rights. It's just going to take too long when you continue to talk about civil rights. You know, you have to start talking about human rights. That's because right. if you talk about civil rights, the people who wrote the Constitution that wasn't meant for you can use it however they want to use it. Which means they can expand the timeline however they want to expand the timeline. There was a Civil Rights Act back in 1870s. That's right. 1875. And what they do, you have the right to vote, not to be uh, discriminated against for voting. But what did the, uh, the Democrats do? Let's cross out the line where it talks about equal education. That's right. So now you have an 1875 Civil Rights Act all the way to 1964. You got to wait for that breadcrumb. Yeah. We ain't gonna give you the whole thing yet. You gotta wait for that one, right? And that's the problem with America. But in retrospect, we talk about how how we wanted to desegregate, but we also talk about how well segregation was for black people because you had the black owned businesses, you held the self-reliance, the black family, the black accountability, which is all good. And that's one thing the reconstruction period uh developed for African and Americans. Like Pop said, is that you saw that we are able to own our own land. You saw that we are able to be politicians. You saw that we are able to uh, run the businesses and all of these things. That's without the reconstruction period, you don't get HBCUs. Without the reconstruction period, you don't get people like W.E.B. Du Bois who helped facilitate the Harlem Renaissance where the greatest writers was ever, ever at. You're talking about the greatest artists expressions entertainment intellectual thought without that you do not get jazz music blues music you don't get what we look at today as our culture you don't get the areas of the civil rights movement without ida b wells you don't get black Black lives matter you black politicians you don't get Black businesses thriving without seeing Tulsa uh, in the 1920s. You don't get what we see as that black self-reliance. This is one of the things Marcus Garvey talked about. We're going to do an episode on Garvey. Is that when you have that black unity, the hell with what they got. That's right. Let's just focus on what we got and what the Reconstruction period did. It allowed us to focus on what we had. Our family, our community, our unity, and that's how you get a black Wall Street. That's how that's you right. develop these things is because you have that that black unification to say, well, they ain't going to just give it to us. We got to do it ourselves. That's right. It, it also helped black America uh, adopt the white established social class of what gets you a higher class in society. People think it's wealth, but it's not the wealth alone. See, with wealth comes merit. With where with merit comes a higher social status. That's where class comes from. So if you think about what white America did, why were slave owners treated the way that they were in the in the communities? Because they had money, they had merit. So with money and merit comes that higher social status. Blacks learn that. 
Because if you, and you even, Marcus Garvey talked about it a lot. Mm -hmm. If you could achieve some of the things that white America was achieving, then at some point they would have to recognize you as such. Mm -hmm. And that's what he believed. If you're more educated, if you create a, 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 a better avenue of generating mm -hmm. finances, you create merit from there, they have to recognize you. Mm -hmm. And we, we, the reconstruction period taught us that. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I don't know. Y'all kind of, <laughs> y'all kind of stumped me. <laughs> Just uh, taking all of that in. Um, and I also add, you know, when it comes to the reconstruction period, like again, we always try to say, why is this relevant to to me today, right? Again, you're talking about the reconstruction period where it was a continuation of oppression a continuation of trying to do voter suppression that we still see today, still see today. the racial violence that we still see today, um, the fight for not just for voting rights, but for those economic rights with black businesses and those type of things. When we hear, when we talk about support black businesses, that's when you get the counter. Well, what about all businesses? And that goes from people right. who do not understand the context of what we're saying things. But if you look at lynchings, then, in the Reconstruction period, started by the KKK, eighteen sixty-six, and you look at the African Americans killed unjustly today. You look at voter suppression and the attempt of voter suppression today. Um, you look at the funding of the schools of, of white, of predominantly white schools versus the funding of predominantly black schools. You look at the chain gang then, and you look at mass incarceration now. You look at the guilty and non-guilty verdicts then and the guilty and non-guilty verdicts now by a jury of your peers. And what do your jury of your peers look like back then versus versus now? You know what I mean? It all looks the same and it all is a repeated history, you know, but the resilience of African-Americans to be able to go through all of that and still arrive where we arrived at. We're the strongest people on the planet. And I'm surprised you didn't mention this because you talked about this on the previous podcast. Right after the end of the Reconstruction period came what they called the New Negro mm -hmm. and the Sambo. Yeah. Well, if you think about today, even in, earlier than today, you talk about in the 70s, you talk about um, late 60s, Malcolm X talking about uh, people being the, the awoke nigger. Yeah. Right. The awoke black man. So now we're talking about being conscious, being black aware, your awareness is being a black man and black man in America. That's the same concept as the new Negro versus the Sambo. Yeah. So it continues. Everything that came out of that reconstruction era has transposed itself into modern day times. Yeah. So without that, I don't know that we have at least those thoughts that led to some of the 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 content that we have today. So. Yeah. So we we, we really use the resistance against us to become greater. That's you know right. what I mean? It's almost like, it's almost like roaches, right? Yeah. I, not, I don't want to refer to us as roaches, but it's like, <laughs> but it's like roaches. You know what I mean? Cause now you go to Walmart, it's not just raid anymore. That's right. You got, you got raid, all, you got all raid because now the roaches have become in tune with the raid that you once was using. That's right. Now we've become even stronger. We're going to get backlash for that. Sorry. I know we're going to get backlash. It was a good correlation, though. Without roaches. <laughs> but we're resilient like roaches for the people who, who might have roaches. 